All right, we're going to go ahead and get started here. Most folks will probably drift in, but uh, I hope the weather's not uh, I've been looking forward to the study, but I've been nervous about it because I haven't been active in teaching in quite a long time. And uh, as I told Keith, about 50 years ago, when I came out of school, I knew all the answers, but now I've kind of <laughs> gotten old and forgotten. So, uh, so you can help me out. You know, I know there's a lot of folks in here that have a good knowledge of scripture. Uh, I've seen that in our classes, and uh, uh, I think this is above average group here. I remember uh, years ago I was in the Bible uh, chair at Eastern Mexico University, and I was looking perusing through the uh, graduate papers uh, thesis and uh, came across one on the uh, Bible knowledge of uh, members of churches of Christ. And you know, I read it and it didn't seem real objective to me, but this student had uh, put some uh, measure together to test the Bible knowledge of, of members of the Church of Christ. And he went to several churches to administer the test and then he wrote up paper about it. And uh, you know the old uh, myth I guess about how bright and brilliant uh, members of the Church of Christ are knowledgeable in the scriptures. I can call it room where somebody lost the Bible and he says, the member of the Church of Christ here, come lay your hands on the head and sort of tell the truth, all truth not the truth. He concluded that uh, uh, church members had an average of about the third grade education in the uh, and we weren't that all that knowledgeable. And I kind of dealt that, but you know, I'm back to where I started. This is above average group, and uh, so I'm looking forward to a lot of the discussion. A lot of you, morning, Fred. Uh, morning, everyone. Glad uh, we have this uh, opportunity to look into this uh, awesome topic and. You know, when we lived in Minnesota, uh, we lived there uh, 17 years. Um, there was a comedian on uh, the Lake Wobegon News. Garrison Keeler. Yeah. <laughs> he always started this program with uh, Lake Wobegon was a, a, a mythical place, and he had just and stitches when he talked about the. Lake Wobegon Lutheran Church and uh, and the Catholic, local Catholic church of, it was called the Church of Perpetual Responsibility. <laughs> but he always signed on saying uh, Lake Wobegon or Minnesota where all the women are strong, all the men are good looking, and all the children are above average. <laughs> I have a grandson that's four years old and you know I'll attest to that. He's He's above average. We have an above average group here, and I'm uh, excited about sharing some things. Um, we're going to go on a tour. Okay, Bob asked me if I'd been to heaven and back, and I said, no, I um, nope, haven't been there, but I know a lot about it and from the scripture, and uh, I'm excited to learn more. And um, So I'll be your tour guide this morning. Not like Fred, you know, if we ask, uh, tell us about Hawaii. You know, he's been there several times, and you could just, you know, lay out the story. But honestly, I've never been to heaven and back, so uh, I really can't tell you what. But there have been people that have, you know. Just look it up on Google, you find all kinds of information. <laughs> <laughs> and people have been to hell and back, too. But uh, there's actually a person in the Bible that's been to heaven and back. And we'll, we're going to take a look at that. Uh, maybe a passage you've never come across before, Second Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, so we'll study that. But uh, we're going to delve into this topic of seeing the unseen. Uh, how do you see the unseen? Uh, if it's unseen, how do you see it? If it's unheard, how do you hear it? by faith, okay. Uh, next week, I'll, I'm not going to do anything with this uh, this morning, but next week we'll come back and we're going to talk about these two realms here. And actually, I think there are more realms. But the earthly realm, we can talk a lot about that. You know, we're, we're here. We live 
our earthly life and uh, we can describe what we see around us and the beauty and the, and the bad. Um, but what do we know about the heavenly realm? None of us have been there. So how does God reveal to us about the heavenly realm? How do we know anything about the life to come? And why do we want to know it? That's a good question. How does God reveal himself to us? Through the scripture, through the word. And Paul in Second Corinthians, First Corinthians 2 says, uh, we have the mind of the spirit right here in the scripture. And so when we read, we can, we're, God is revealing himself, his will, his eternal purpose, and all about this heavenly realm to us through the scriptures. Are, are there other ways that God reveals himself to us? Nature. Roman 1. Okay. Elaborate. Well, we, we can see the evidence of God's handiwork and creation and tell something about his attributes. How powerful he yeah. is. How all intelligent he is just by looking at his creation. And seeing that, what does Paul say about us? We have no excuse to not believe in him. We have no excuse. You see God even in the creation, the order, the, the beauty of nature, the, the, the grand design of it all. Uh, is there any other way God's revealed himself? Those are usually the two that we talk about. Good morning. There's actually, I think, at least three ways that God presents himself. One is through nature, where we know there is a God. Uh, the second is through the scriptures. We know we learn about God. We learn everything about him. And then the third way is through Jesus, his son, where we actually meet God. Yeah. You know, that, and that's... That's the way that I think that he's revealed himself yeah. to mankind. The Son of God reveals who, who, Jesus, who God is. Um, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We see Jesus, we, we're given a glimpse, and it's a limited glimpse, I have to say. Uh, Jesus himself said the Father is the Spirit. No one has seen the Father at any time. But uh, we're going to look in a lot of passages in the Old Testament that talk about uh, the actual physical appearance of God in bodily form. Um, passages that describe the angel of the Lord. Uh, Abraham in uh, uh, Genesis uh, is visited by three strangers, they walk into his camp, and he does what all uh, good people of that time would do. They offered hospitality and welcomed him, and he, and they start talking, and the mission these three are on is to go down and see what's happening in Sodom and Gomorrah. So later in the story, two of the people leave, one stays, and Abraham and that one stranger begin to talk, and guess what? Abraham calls him Yahweh called him the angel of the Lord. And so we're going to look at passages like that that uh, begin to reveal to us this heavenly realm. So those three ways that God, I actually think there's another way. Maybe it's, I'm not sure how this works. There might even be a fifth way. <laughs> we're always cautious of that because if we say the Holy Spirit works in us to reveal God's will. We're, we're cautious of that because you can just run up with that. And uh, and yet I think there's an element of truth in that. So one person can take up the scripture and read it and get nothing out of it. Another one can take it up and read it and the Holy Spirit, Jesus promised the coming of the Holy Spirit, when he comes he will convict you of righteousness and truth and, and judgment to come. So there's a, a work of the Holy Spirit from God to to open up or enlighten us, to open the eyes of our, our hearts and minds to uh, understand biblical truth. And there's one other way. Let's see, I got a, should have added Mark here. 
Uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, I find this really interesting verse. Ecclesiastes 3, in all that chapter uh, starts out, there's a time for everything, a time to be born, a time to die. And, uh, we get songs from that, those verses. But in verse 9 it says, What does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen this, the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. There's the creation revelation. And he has also set eternity in the hearts of men. God put eternity into your heart and mind. Okay? And yet, despite this gift, it says... We cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. We don't... <laughs> we have this notion of eternity. And just think of it, you can think of eternity. But what is eternity? So we can't understand what God has done from the beginning to the end. It's beyond us. But we still have this searching mind. Uh, this thing called eternity within us. What does that say to you that God is doing through that? Put eternity in your heart. Somewhere I heard a voice. Forever. Eternity is forever. I will have God in my heart forever. Morning, guys. Morning. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. <laughs> I thought about it. <clears throat> I, I think he's, uh, by having eternity as part of mankind, he's helping us to have the concept that there's more to life than just the physical life here. There's something beyond that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that searching heart. There's something beyond, something bigger than us. A wonder. I wonder as I wander. So look into the stars, like David did in uh, eight psalms. I look up and see the stars, the heavens, the moon. You created these systems. What is man that you're mindful of him? What, why do you think about us? Why are you? Why do you have us in your thoughts? He said, because he made man a little lower than the angels, crowned him with, with uh, glory and honor, and gave him dominion with all the the whole creation. So there's no creature like a like human. I don't think our dogs think about eternity. I don't think uh, <coughs> I don't think our pets look up and see the stars or, or the creatures in the uh, wild or the fish in the sea or the birds in the air. But I've I've kind of kind of wondered about that. You know, when you hear the, the birds singing their songs. Um, and uh, who are they singing to? Well, to each other, but uh, maybe to uh, eternal God. I don't know who created them. But um, that's something that God put in us to create within us a hunger, a longing. And uh, Augustine uh, described it as, um, uh, I don't have the, oh yeah. Uh, Augustine wrote this, You made us for yourselves, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. There's like a, a we're like a giant puzzle, and the creation's like a giant puzzle, and there's a part that God is reserved for himself. If that part is missing, the picture's not complete. And, um, and because it's missing and, and our conscious is awakened to it, we, uh, uh, until we find that, we're, we're restless. Especially as we grapple with all the things going on in this world. That's good, but it's also pretty <clears throat> messed up, isn't it? And we wonder, is, why, where is God? What, is there a God? Um, Augustine had a, uh, he, he lived pretty much a reprobate life when he was, uh, gee, I, I remember a sermon 
probably 15 years ago, which tells a little bit about how old I am. I was in the military already. And uh, it was about seeing God. And how many times have we heard our children say, I can't see why I have to go to church every Sunday. <laughs> or I can't see why we do this. You can fill it in. I, I can't see. And I don't know if you had that as part of your lesson there. But, uh, <coughs> by a very brilliant guy, James Collins, if anybody knows him, uh, he played quite a part in Europe. But, uh, that lesson stuck with me. I cannot see. And the reason is, you don't spend time with God. No children need a reason to see why we go to church, read our lives. They haven't got the vision because they haven't spent time yeah. with God. We pray, we talk to God. Does he not does he not talk back to us? Does he not reveal himself? Um, for our study the, the scripture is gonna be the the biggest revelation that we're going to look at. I have a a book I've been reading by uh, Michael Heiser, the the Unseen Realm. Brother uh, Thomas, you've read this book and studied him. I've got actually three books by him. One is on angels, one's on demons, and and this one, the Unseen Realm. And uh, he's an Old Testament uh, biblical scholar. He's uh, 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 an expert in Hebrew and classical and uh, Old Testament ancient languages, and he really gets into it. And a lot of it's up here for me, and some of it's controversial. Uh, but he draws you into the scripture and pulls things together, and so you know it's helped to answer a lot of questions for me. One of the questions I've always had was in the beginning, in the creation, in the opening verses of Genesis. God says, let us make man in our image. So in the image of God, we're, we've been made, male and female, male and female, nothing else. But, uh, uh, let us, who's the us that's being spoken of in the, in the text? Let us make God in our image. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay. And the Word came to earth. A traditional uh, interpretation of that is that it's the Trinity. And um, as far as I'm concerned, all three are, are present in the opening verses of Genesis. Because it says that uh, the Spirit of God moved over the chaos of the darkness of the deep. And the Spirit of God was bringing order. And we verses that follow talk about the days of creation and how they're famous ordered and created by God, God the Father, in the beginning, with the Spirit. Uh, what about the Word? Or Jesus, right? <laughs> I just gave it away. Yeah. <laughs> John already did it. <laughs> John says uh, in the opening passages of John's Gospel, um, in the beginning, starting with God, just like in what is the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. Okay, so all three are present in the in the creation and the us. There, the traditional uh, interpretation is uh, that God is speaking to Himself in the Trinity, uh, and that's been the interpretation since almost all the way back to uh, biblical times. Uh, in the uh, well what we call the intertestamental period, the uh, second temple period. There was a lot of Jewish um, study and writing going on. Uh, the Israelites came out of Babylonian captivity. They returned to the land. They rebuilt the temple, and uh, they devoted themselves to the study not only of the Torah, but uh, the other writings of the, uh, the songs and the prophets of, of the Old Testament. And they wrote a lot themselves. And so there were a lot of ideas floating around, and uh, Heiser goes back to those, and he says the us there, in his mind, in his interpretation, and I have, I guess I don't know if I fully agree with him. The us is not the Trinity, but the uh, heavenly council of angels and 
of spiritual beings that, that existed there. Was God alone in the beginning? What? I think angels were created beings like everything else. But angels were there in presence of creation. Uh, in fact, in the book of Job, it says all the angels, uh, the stars sang out, and all of the angels sang for joy at the creation. So they were there witnessing God as He brings this creation uh, order that into being. And so angels pre existed the creation of. of the earth. Right there. Had to be. Because before man was made, Satan had to have been created. Yeah. Yeah, here's an interesting thing. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but God said Adam and Eve in the in the garden, this perfect paradise. And we're gonna talk a lot about that. Because I believe that the that the paradise that was lost was going to be the Paradise regained in the end, but uh, he uh, set them in the garden. It was a beautiful place. It was paradise. It was perfect. Um, he told them to take care of it. They were stewards of, of that place that God had planted in a specific place, not worldwide. It was this this uh, east of Eden, like the scripture says, and uh, he told them. They could eat of every tree of, of the garden, except what? Did you ever stop to think about where's this evil stuff coming from? Paul wrote that by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all because we've all sinned. Um, so it's in the end of the world uh, because of the fall of Adam and Eve, but there was something there already, good and evil. And God warned them to stay away from it so that they, uh, because God knew that in the day you, you eat of it, you'll, or Satan tells man, the day you eat of it, you'll be like God. You're like God himself. Don't you want to be like God himself? What did Satan want to be? God himself. He wanted to be like God himself. Okay. So there's uh, something going on behind the scenes, this invisible realm here. I get back to this idea of the revelation. That's probably raised a lot of questions in people's minds. But uh, believe me, I have a lot of questions of my own. Uh, there's stuff going on behind the scenes that we're not totally aware of. And uh, there are scriptures that lead us into this unseen realm that uh, help us begin to see the possibilities of what's going on. But like that passage in Ecclesiastes, I've said eternity in our hearts. We can't figure it all out from beginning to end. There's a lot that we're, we're left in the dark about. But uh, here's what we're going to do in this class. And I just wanted to make an introduction to it today. Um, and talk about this heavenly hope that we have. You know, we live in uh, in this world, and it's we see bad things going on, and we see ourselves uh, getting older and growing old and dying. And think of the loved ones that we've lost and the memories that we have. One of the songs that. Uh, used to always be sung at funerals was uh, precious memories, how they linger, ever, how they ever fill my soul in the stillness of the midnight, precious sacred scenes unfold. you ever wake up in the middle of the night thinking about eternity, thinking about your moms and dads, your brothers and sisters, uh, others you loved and lost, and we wonder. And we ponder and we lay there in the dark, wide awake. I don't know if you've ever done it. I do it a lot. And uh, I think about these things. And uh, anyway, um, the passage I was thinking of is uh, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. 
John in his revelation says, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me was like a trumpet saying, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Or the kingdom, I'll show you what must come to pass. So the door of this heavenly realm is slightly ajar for John. The light of the, the glory is streaming from it and he is invited to enter or to come close and to see what the future holds. So we're not left totally in the dark about our future, about our hope, about the glory that's uh, to come. I wanted to play a little video, and I, before, I better do it before I forget here. Um, what is there about this book that captivates our heart? This book is like that door in heaven. Well, it, it helps make sense of a world that really, in a lot of ways, doesn't make sense. So I think that's what captivates me. <clears throat> and Paul will write in First Corinthians that um, the Spirit has revealed this to us, and you've got to be—you've got to tune in your your receiver to get the message that it's saying. And he says, unspiritual people—that is, people that don't have their mind and thought on, or they're not pondering the eternity that God's put within them. That it's foolishness, he says. The Message Bible says it seems like silliness to them for us to talk about heaven. In fact, one of the the uh, uh, biggest critics or criticisms of this whole notion of what's to come hereafter, heaven, angels, resurrection, future hope, all a bunch of silliness and, and it's ridiculous. They, they can't see it because they are unspiritual and they've closed their hearts and their, their minds to it. So you've got to, what does the Bible say? Seek, and you should find it. Knock, and the door shall be open. And God opens his truths to us. The Bible has just captivated the hearts of man. I'm going to see if I can play a little video here. I came across the where that took place uh, just a few years ago in China it just gets to me can I see it yep. joy of, of having the Bible you know, I know Christians that haven't stacked that high in their, in their homes and never opened but uh, a group of young Chinese students received a gift from uh, America and uh, was brought to them, and this was filmed by a, a missionary. 
and I and I'm not sure, but I think the organization was uh, called uh, Voice of the Martyrs. Any of you ever heard of them? It's a Christian organization that works uh, in countries where uh, it's very difficult to, to bring the gospel, and they brought them a gift. And look how the joy they they received it. And um, what is there about this book? Just an amazing thing. One of those students uh, later wrote to uh, to the uh, Voice of the Martyrs group, and they wrote this. It says, "I first uh, first I greet you in Christ. I already heard of your evangelism project early on. Now I live in Changlin Village in Yuhan Province. After I read the uh, the book Tortured for Christ." My spirit was so strengthened, then I learned how to look upon God and how communism still is working against the thoughts of God, which made me hate it all the more. From day on, that day on, I began to attend the meetings of the house church and later served there, witnessing God's wonderful deeds. I encountered Jesus on 1 April 2000. Thereafter, I often delivered the Bibles for you. With man this is impossible, but not with God. Is anything too hard for God? There are more and more Chinese people coming to know Jesus. So please pray for our leaders in China. I pray that all Chinese people can know God, for China was once called the Divine Land, and I hope the implication of that name will soon be realized. Um, it's estimated that there are 80 million Christians in China. There's an underground church that's illegal. They can't even, they can't even distribute Bibles uh, unless you buy them in a state-sanctioned uh, bookstore. And uh, yet there are millions of people coming to Christ in China. I, I watched this and I thought, well, I got to stop complaining about everything being made in China. <laughs> because there are a billion people in China that don't know their right hand from their left. And God loves them and he wants them to have the gospel. And she, she begs uh, people to pray for China, pray for North Korea, pray for Iran, pray for all those places where the door to the heavenly realm has been slammed shut and they can't see the truth and know the goodness and love of God. Um, Do you know how they smuggled the Bibles in? Uh, well, that that started with uh, opening a suitcase. I don't know, I would think they would. Because they, they were really strict on that. And, and I just wonder yeah. how they were able to do that. They might be smuggled over the border too, from say South Korea or somewhere. Um, Bibles were being smuggled into Russia years ago. There was a Christian uh, fellow you might recognize the name, Otis Gatewood, and that was way back in the uh, 50s, I think. And it was illegal to bring Bibles into Russia, but they were doing it. They were sticking in there <laughs> everywhere they could and walking in, handing out. Handing out Bibles, and now guess what? The Bibles are being printed in, in Russia. Uh, Eastern European missions has a, a printing house in Russia, and they've distributed millions and millions of Bibles uh, in Russia and Ukraine. A lot of them in Ukraine. So we need to be praying for these areas that the gospel, the word, will get there because it's got a message that every heart needs needs to hear. Any thoughts about? About that, Alan, Benita, you guys were talking back there to you. Well, I've met Otis, so it was Otis Gatewood. I've met him. How old are you? <laughs> How he, old am I? He was way back. He was, way back. He was old when yeah. I met him. <laughs> you were just a little girl. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to mention that, like, like many countries, we need to think about. Uh, the country as a political entity, uh, but separately the people. For example, in China, you have the Chinese Communist Party. You have the uh, leadership that is actually interested in sovereignty. And then you have the people who are making up their own minds and seeking God and so forth. So, you know, when you think about Iran, you got to think 
All right, do I want to think about the political entity or do I want to think about the people? Because there's many Christians in Iran as well. Yeah, we got to put eternity in their hearts as well. Uh, back years ago when we were living in, uh, almost 20 years ago now, in Minneapolis, um, we met a, a young Chinese woman. She was a professor in a leading university in, in uh, China. She'd come to uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul to, um, for an internship at 3M Company to study their printing processes, and that was her, her uh, specialty. And uh, one of our church members uh, worked for 3M and had invited her to stay, uh, live with him in their home. So she spent, I don't know, two or three months uh, in our area, and, and they brought her to church. Her name was Shelsha. Uh, she wanted to know, she wanted to hear the, the gospel. She hungered for it. And uh, thanks to those uh, faithful church members who uh, shared the gospel in their home and then brought her uh, to our church, we baptized her on Easter Sunday about 20 years ago. Uh, she was a communist. She said, I carry a a card saying I'm a member of the Communist Party, but she wouldn't get to the position that she was uh, without being, you know, a member of the Communist Party. But like this young woman, she probably learned to hate communism. There's an underground church in China. I hope there's an underground church in North Korea. I don't know what a dark place it is. Let's pray for those places. Lord, uh, open the door. Open the door of heaven to these people. Let them see the truth of the gospel. Boy, I'm way behind on what I wanted to do today. Uh, Ephesians 1.15, Paul writes, I want you to know, he said, and may the God of heaven uh, open or uh, enlighten the... Let me read it. <laughs> Verse 15. Um. <clears throat> oh, got the wrong verse. Man. <clears throat> I'm looking for the verse that says. May God enlighten your your mind. 18, verse 18. 18. Start from 17. Yeah, somebody read it for me. <laughs> I got such a little print here. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope in which he has called you, the riches of his glory and her glorious inheritance in his holy word and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That was one of yeah. Paul's run on synergy. <laughs> yeah. uh, I pray that God will, uh, the Holy Spirit will enlighten your heart, eyes of your heart to see. We have a song, uh, something about that. Heart. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. To see you in your glory, high and lifted up. Um, that was his prayer for the Ephesians. That should be our prayer for uh, this whole world. May God open our eyes to see the unseen. Um, Jesus told uh, Thomas, the Thomases, that uh, because you've seen, you believe. You know, when he showed him the nail prints in his hand, blessed are those who have not seen. Have the unseen world had not seen, and yet they believe. As Bob said, we believe through the eyes of faith. First Peter one eight says, uh, "God wants to fill us with an inexpressible joy in the realization of the hope that's laid up for us." Uh, God wants us to be filled with hope, with confidence, with courage, with expectation, with excitement about what's coming. You ask somebody, go ahead. And I would say that gives Christians the peace that passes understanding that kind of sums up what that's about. Yeah. 
that we have that the world is so broken doesn't have any meaning. Um, what about that criticism that if uh, we just focus on heaven, Paul in Colossians 3 says, set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth, for your life is hidden with Christ, with God in Christ. And this life you now live on the earth, live it for the glory of God. Um, this, what, if, what about that focus on heaven, setting your, your, your affections, your thoughts on heavenly things and not on earthly things? Is, the criticism is that when we do that, it draws us away from uh, needs on earth. We're focused here and, and not here. And so we're not doing the good in the world that we need to do. What would be your answer to that? Some of you we all know in one of the speeches that the Mughal science was speaking to themselves all the Mughal science, but there's no God in science. God created the science. But when we do that, we put our faith in our understanding of what we think is true. You know, it doesn't yeah. work, and we don't use it to help people. Yeah. We might use it to make money and gain power. Any other thoughts on that? I mean, does it does it have to be one or the other? Can there be a healthy balance of keeping our eyes focused on what's above and yeah. what's ahead of us, um, but also realizing that God put us here on Earth um, to help to bring order and to um, you know bring beauty and to, to ultimately rule on this earth and so in order to do that as good stewards like we need to spend some of our focus and energy on bringing um, bringing God and bringing Jesus into uh, those around us yeah because we are created in God's image, we are image bearers, and we are to reflect the image of God to this world. And I would argue that all the good in it that's occurred in this world, is, um, most of the good, I would say, is through the influence of Christians. All the great literature, all the great art, all the great songs, all the great accomplishments. Um, now, let's not say all of them, but. Peter writes in the first Peter chapter 3 verse 11 he's he describes the end of the world and the creation all uh, the earth uh, burning up and all things melting fervent heat and um, the this scene of last judgment and then he says in verse 11 seeing all these things shall be what kind of people should we be in all godliness and um, Holy. He's saying, considering what's coming, how should we be living? Yes, we're living for the next world, and we're helping people to find in this world the goodness and glory of God because we want them to share. And Paul, that's why Paul prayed for the Ephesians, and almost every one of the epistles start that, that on that same vein. Right? His longing, his prayer, his love, his encouragement to uh, Christians to live the Christian life. Somebody once said, we should not be so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we're here to uh, to do good. The hospitals are built, the orphanages are taking care of children, the, the, the people that have been helped, the stories in scripture that train us to, to be God's hands and his instruments for good in this world. I was reading recently about um, a space probe that was that was sent out NASA sent out into outer space to uh, travel a billion. 1.8 billion miles to intersect with an asteroid that was probably no bigger than this church building. Land on it, scoop up some some debris, some rock and uh, mineral from that asteroid, 
blast off and return it to Earth 1.8 billion miles away. It took about four years for that uh, to be accomplished, and that's fantastic. Just think of the, the ingenuity and the intelligence that it took to do that. God put that in us, and it's, it's, it is pretty amazing to think of it. But sometimes uh, we get to thinking our technology just replaces God. We don't need it anymore. It's old-fashioned, it's an old idea. Get rid of that, jettison that. Well, we see in our world what's happening when we turn our backs on God. What a mess we, we make of things. I think of the story of, uh, of um, a group of scientists and philosophers. They're climbing the mountain of knowledge. It's a high mountain. They're making achievements and they're learning and they're growing and they're um, applying scientific methods to understand all of things that are around them. They're climbing higher and higher and higher and higher to reach the summit of knowledge and wisdom, and the leader finally crawls up over the last um, stone on the top of the mountain, and he peers over, and what does he see? Bible class from Eastside Church Christ <laughs> sitting there talking about God, the things to come in the future, and the glory, and the young people, what we can say about it. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of a woman named Eon, Eon Hershey Ali, a Somali woman. Uh, she was named by Time Magazine a couple of years ago to be in the top 100 most influential people in the world. <laughs> most of us have never heard of her. She came out of a persecution and oppression in Somalia under Islam. She rejected it. I think she went to England or in the Netherlands. Netherlands, yeah, and she got an education. She's a brilliant woman, uh, and she rejected uh, Islam and and the whole belief system and became an atheist. And uh, she went around the world lecturing uh, universities. She was, um, but she spoke out against the evils of Islam, and so she was boycotted in a lot of the universities. She had to have a, actually had to have a bodyguard to. Uh, accompany her. Just two weeks ago, we read an article about her. Guess what? She says, I've become a Christian. I've become a Christian, and I'm going to church every Sunday so I can learn more about it. She said, living without the knowledge of God and a hope beyond this fallen world is unbearable. Atheism is no substitute for God. You know, God put eternity in her heart. That hungering, that longing, that searching, that seeking was there. Another guy, Jordan Peterson, I some of you probably heard of him. He's a philosopher, a psychologist from Canada. Brilliant guy. Every time he talks, he's way over my head. But recently, he said, this is why I've become a Christian. And he's given lectures about it. And um, I think that the more people search and seek and wonder, the more we're going to find God. The uh, ending verse in Ecclesiastes kind of sums that up. Yeah. You know, Solomon and all of his seeking for understanding sums it up by hear the end of it. Respect God and his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Yeah. And that's what this which his wisdom finally brought him to it. It's all about God and, and respecting him and, and looking for him. <clears throat> and sometimes because it's hard to see the unseen, the, the spiritual realm. God is a spirit. No man has seen God at any time. It's it's difficult to to grab a hold of it. But through the pages of Scripture, we're given a glimpse, if you will, into the unseen realm. Um, first, let me just read this real quick. First Corinthians 13 is that wonderful chapter on love. In the middle of it, Paul says, uh, to quote the King James, now we see in a glass darkly. Um, 
ancients had, they didn't have mirrors, they just polished metal as shiny as they could get it. And imagine holding up a piece of copper that's polished, and what do you see? A blur. <laughs> a blur, yeah. Uh, now we see in a dark, in a, in a glass darkly. Uh, quoting, uh, reading from the uh, Message Bible, love never dies. Inspired speech will be over someday. Praying in tongues will end. Understanding will reach its limits. We know only a portion of the truth, and what we say about God is always incomplete. But when the complete arrives, our incompleteness will be canceled. We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But uh, it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then. We'll see as um, it is as completeness. We have three things to do in the meantime that lead us toward this consummation. Trust steadily in God, hope unswervingly, love extravagantly, and the best of the three is love. It's sort of a real paraphrase of uh, um, Eugene Peterson, the uh, First Corinthians chapter 13. Faith, hope, and love, and greatest of these is love, and he says, hang on to that. Uh, well, I made a whole list here of uh, of visions into the unseen. I have 21 and I'm just, you know, touching the surface from, from Scripture, so we better quit here. But I introduced one last week, and that was the shepherds on the, I think Eddie's going to talk about that this morning, or the shepherds that appeared to Mary. Uh, not the shepherds, sorry. Uh, Gabriel appeared to Mary, and the shepherds uh, out in the dark of the night on a hill in Bethlehem, and suddenly the Sky erupts in brilliant light. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.